So for, for example, um, in Singhichuan, we have monkey. There are 12 animals in Singhichuan, but the, the animals are not an animal mimicry style and manner of movement, but I rather use the strategies and tactics of the animals with the overall, uh, the overarching structure and movements of the art and the principles of the art. But then, you know, over the years, that was one of the like newer things that, that I put into my Tongudao was that the monkey actually made it a little, just a little bit more monkey-like. A little mm. bit more monkey-like than the most Xing trend. And I thought, yeah, like, why not? Because I apply it in mo- more monkey-like fashion. And people go on YouTube and they write, like, Jonathan Bluestein animals. You'd, you'd find, like, a there's a, a video of mine showing uh, free-form free form practice and application of the animals. The forms don't actually look exactly like I practice there. It's just a free-form practice for the camera and just free-form. Just, I'm doing uh, Rosho, which is the Xingyi equivalent, Bainbao equivalent of Toisho. Toisho am just moving the just random wrestling of sorts with the students. And then I float into techniques from that. And nothing in that video is rehearsed or planned. And neither my solo practice or my applications. And in there, I, I demonstrate the monkey. And anybody who views that would see, hey, my monkey is really monkey-like. It has gotten even more monkey-like since then. And, and it was amazing because we filmed that. And then in the, uh, in the image I used for the video, I, I, I saw, wow, like I was up in the air, jumped in the air, and I was striking the student on the, on the neck. And, and I thought, wow, this really looks like a macaque monkey. I really look like the damn monkey. I didn't even realize. And I <laughs> went on Google and I found a nearly identical image, nearly identical of a monkey in the air in that particular posture. <laughs> and and awesome. well, what is the, the idea with, you know, the animals in Shinichuan, to the best of my understanding? The idea is that in the midst of combat, you can change the spirit of how you fight and how you're uh, movements and energy feel to the opponent to match the energy of the opponent. So, for example, if the opponent is much weaker than yourself, then you can use the tiger or the dragon uh, and often the horse. If the, if, if the opponent is much weaker than yourself and is also not that maneuverable, you can use tiger or dragon, which are very aggressive, offensive, and hand-on and go strength against strength. If the opponent is maybe slightly weaker than yourself, but is mobile, maybe you use the horse. If the opponent is much stronger than you and is stiff, you'd use the monkey because you can go around him and also climb him, use his arms like branches because he's strong and stiff. His, his arms are so strong, you can literally jump and cling to his arms and use them for leverage to whatever, often to hit his head, or to go around him by jumping and cling on his arm, and then basically like a monkey grabbing a branch and, and then swinging behind the tree, you can do that with a very strong, tall person who is very stiff. Um, and you, but you've got to practice that, of course. And, and the monkey actually um, encapsulates the sungwa the, in the uh, model of the eight trigrams. Sungwa is a trigram of wind. So the monkey, in my understanding, in Singhichuan, even though Singhichuan is constructed around the five phases, some people mistakenly call them the five elements. Um, I think, um, actually, the Chinese, if you look at the card of Xing, 
Um, I think I, I have come to call them in Hebrew the five walkings, or mm. you, or I think what basically if, if we were to be more very accurate about it, it should be the five walking transitions, like transitions that basically walk from place to place, five walking transitions. I think that was what was intended in the Carter scene, which it, of course is the same thing in seeing each trend. The scene is in that context is form. And E is intent, the, the fist of form and intent. And that is a whole other lecture in its own right. But I think the seeing in the context of Wu Xing and the five phases is the five transitional walkings. And so when I say Sun Gua, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the trigram of wind. This is like outside of the theory of Xing Yichuan. But but I, I identify the Xingyi monkey with wind, the way that wind moves. If you read about wind in the I Ching, in the Book of Changes. And I think that people also, um, if we digress a little bit, um, people misunderstand the union of Xingyi Chuan and Baguazhan. Like what? It's not just that, oh, you know, one is has more circle of stepping and the one is, is more direct and et cetera. And this is, goes more head-on usually, and the other one goes around. It's not just that. It's also because Ching Yichun took the theory of the five phases and worked with it and created an art that, that goes around that. Actually, the 12 animals, what, what is five phases and 12 animals? The 12 animals are like, the two, it's, it's basically 10 earthly stems and uh, 12 heavenly branches. That is... The, the, the whooshing, the five phases, the, um, is like the five yin organs of the body, right? It's the lungs, kidneys, liver, heart, and spleen. Lungs, kidneys, liver, heart, and spleen. But in Chinese medicine, you branch them out to 10 because this is the philosophical numerical system that was used originally. So every one of the five is yin and the yang. So the Lungs go with the large intestine, the kidneys go with the bladder, the liver goes with the gallbladder, the heart goes with the small intestine, the spleen goes with the stomach. So together you have 10. So these are 10 earthly branches, 10, sorry, 10 celestial stems. I was confusing the names. Sorry. I'm used to thinking about this like in Chinese and Hebrew and English, and sometimes I get confused about that. Okay, so <laughs> You're good. Um, You're good. So, so 10 celestial stems... And 12 earthly branches. Okay, 10 celestial stems, 12 earthly branches. The five phases represent the 10 celestial stems. What are the 10 celestial stems? They are the planets. If if we be, like this goes into astronomy and astrology, but essentially um, we are all under the influence of heavenly forces. I think everybody agrees that we are influenced by the sun and the moon. But for whatever reason, people are not so keen to agree that we are also influenced by the other five major planets in the solar system that surround the Earth, um, which is what Mercury, Venus, Saturn. Um, I remember them like in their Hebrew names, Mercury, Venus, Saturn, uh, Jupiter, and, uh, and Mars. Mercury, Venus, Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars. These are the five major planets that are nearest to the earth that, that affect our life on earth in different ways. Like all ancient civilizations believe that it's just that nowadays we have very silly horoscopes in the, in the newspapers. So we think, Oh, like these idiots write those silly horoscopes. 
not talking about real horoscope. I'm talking about the shit in the newspaper. And they think, oh, you know, so this, this must be bullcrap. So astrology get, gets marginalized. Suddenly we're not talking about the planets affecting us. Suddenly it's only the moon and the sun. But actually, it's, in my opinion, in my understanding, it's also the planets. These are the 10 celestial stems. 10 celestial stems are these, like, in my understanding, these are these five planets and their yin and yang sides to them. Which some would say, and I would believe, that this is why we have the 10 major organs reflecting these five influences with the yin and yang to them. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And now the... The 12 earthly branches. We have 12 months of the year. The period around the sun is segmented to... Our circling the sun is segmented into 12 periods. And the earth's spin around its own axis segmented to 12 periods. And the actual movement of the Milky Way Sorry, the, of the of the uh, so of our solar system in the Milky Way galaxy, the the whole of the solar system moving in the way Milky Way galaxy is segmented into twelve periods of what is it? Um, can't remember the exact number, but the the total like the total cycle is I um it's either. Yes, it's 25,900 years. So um, let's see, calculator. Uh, So 25,900 divided by 12. Yeah, that's... um, So it's it's almost 2,600. If it's 2,600 years divided by 12, that's uh, 2,166 which you might recognize it, because it's almost 26,000. 2,166 is uh, nearly about the number in uh, 4K HD, right? Hmm. Which is not, if you research it, you see it's not coincidental. But it's not exactly, exactly that because, um, but it's close. So periods of about 20 2,160 years. So around every 2,160 years, we completed another transition of the entire solar system in the Milky Way galaxy. Mm -hmm. And then some people say come under the influence of Mm. um, another uh, constellation. Because we are, the whole of the solar system is closer to one of these constellations. That's my understanding. There, by the way, other interpretations, don't take my word on that, because there are many forms of astronomy and astrology. And that was all to say, Sinichuan is actually a shamanic system that was intended to reflect the philosophical, astronomical, and astrological ideas of the 10 celestial stems and 12 earthly branches in movement form and the interrelationship between the number five represented in in its extension from five in yin and yang. So that's five times two because it has yin and yang. That's a 10. Mm -hmm. The 10 and the 12. Okay. And then Bhagwajan 
comes in with a different numerical systems with system with, with the numbers in the power of two. Two and two times two is four, and two times four is eight, and eight times eight is 64. That is, in my personal understanding, the system that explains the quantum level of the universe. Mm. Okay? And we see that num the numerical system of 2, 4, 8, 64, that reflects itself in different places. So if we said like, so the 12 earth, we, 10, 10 celestial stems, 10, 10 main internal organs alluded to in traditional Chinese medicine, 12 earthly branches, 12 regular meridians in the human body. But there are also eight exceptional vessels, eight extraordinary meridians, and they are associated with the Bagua system. And in the Bagua system, the, the 2, 4, 8, 64, where do we see it? We see it in the developing cell. The cell begins, so in the, in the human embryo, when the yin and yang come together, the sperm meets the egg. And the yin and yang came together and they become one. And the one then becomes two cells. And then they divide, or they always divide to four. And then 60, and then from the four to 16, 32, 64. This division is a, happens 100% of the time in all living embryos. I think not even only with mammals. All evolved animals develop through this model of the Bagua. Where do we always also see it? We see the I Ching in the 60, the, the 8 and the 64 in the structure of DNA. I didn't find this. People found this decades ago. It's also evident in our system. So the Chinese, though they're, they're sneaky because nowhere do you, can you read about what I was just saying. It's not written about in any, I mean, it's written about in numerous books about astronomy, astrology, and Chinese philosophy. It's not at all written about in any freaking book about Chinese martial arts, for whatever reason. And the sneaky Chinese, like this fella Sun Lutang, Sun Lutang, famous Xing Yichuan teacher, and then, then also a, a Bagua and Taiji teacher, he knew all about this stuff, but he didn't tell us. He didn't tell us, because they're sneaky. They want you to find out on your own, because... Kongzi, Kongzi Confucius, he said, you know, the good student is, I give him a quarter and he comes back with the other three quarters. So the Chinese wanted us to figure this out. You know how many years it took me to figure this out? The person who actually exposed me to all of this was my dear shuffle, Professor Stephen Jakovitz, who's another genius. He's the most, he's the wisest, most educated person that I know, not just in martial arts, Professor Stephen Jakovitz. And I, I started figuring this out under his tutelage, I was I, I was a senior teacher for years before I knew this stuff. So, and a lot of people, most senior teachers, know nothing about this because they don't, you don't get any explanations. And most of the Chinese who teach senior and Baguazhang and Taiji Chuan, they can't explain this. They don't know much about it. They've heard it a little bit here and there. It's like in their culture, you know, because when one ear comes out the other, they heard it when they were 10 years old. They weren't old enough to understand because the, it's all freaking complex. It's really freaking complex. The, I, I read the I Ching. I guarantee you, the I Ching is like a post-PhD level book. It's not a book for, for kids. Like, and, no. and 
And you can't expect, you know, most Lilonang, the person who founded Sinichuan, was illiterate. How would an illiterate person be able to write about, he, he's illiterate, he can't write. So, and how is he going to explain things like that? He's just, he sort of knows. Of course he knew. Of course Lilonang knew about this stuff. Now, the, by the way, one of the, the interesting things is, in the history of Singitran, in Sini Liucha, they had, initially, they had, oh, five movements, not in, um, not in Dai Sini, Dai Sini Liucha, but in Sini Liucha trend from the Hui Muslims. They had five basic movements and then ten animals. Why did they move it, like, why did Lilonang transition from five movements, ten animals, to five movements, twelve animals? Because it was still in the com- context of five, five ter- being being turned into ten. He wanted a five, which is a ten, and a twelve. Mm. And that made more sense with the philosophy that, you know, everything in China works around. Mm-hmm. You know, and our martial arts are way deeper than people realize. Like, people put insane stuff into it. And into Wing Chun. Like I, my my shifu, Professor Stephen Jakovitz, he says certain things about Wing Chun that I can't even say on this podcast because it would be so controversial. But you know, part of well, first of one thing he he says, and I think that he would stand behind. He says Wing Chun was the art of assassins and pirates. It was an art, you know, that was taught. You know, we, we're talking like six, seven, eight generations ago. It was an art taught by people who basically out to kill their business competitors. It's not, they're not nice people. And it was, it, it doesn't, it wasn't made to be fancy because they weren't killing people in front of other people to make a show. They just had to kill them. And they had to, to, you know, train in tight spaces and that is well known, of course. And he also says that, I don't know if it's really just his lineage of Wing Chun and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm being cautious here. I'm, Intentionally not mention which lineage and you know his teacher and everything. Maybe it's just his lineage. Maybe, like he says, it's actually originally not in recent generations, but back then is many lineages. He says Wing Chun is is strongly Buddhist, not just like oh paying homage, you know, certain Buddhist, you know, certain postures you'd say you'd have like this posture is called you know making an offering to the Buddha, right? Yep. Uh, no, no, no. He says. No, there's a whole lot of Buddhist religion in the actual Wing Chun. And in some lineages, they teach, they still teach the religious part. But probably Yip Man, I know because his, his lineage also comes down somehow from Yip Man. I just don't want to be specific here. I don't know if Yip Man chose to not emphasize it and then his, his students do or whatnot. Because Yip Man is always presented as, as having been a bit more secular. But... Yeah. Wing Chun in in some lineages is very religious. It's literally there's a worship of the Buddha through movements. Now I'm not saying this is not to say that Wing Chun is usually religious martial art. I think in 99.9% of cases it is not. I'm just saying there's still lineages and sub-lineages like that. And that Professor Jakovitz would say, you know, originally it was probably like that. And which is interesting how there are many sects like this in Buddhism. You know, Buddhism is, is supposed to be about, you know, all love and peace. And then, you know, 
the Chinese got Buddhism from India and are like, love and peace and kill your competitor. All works together. <laughs> and then there's love and peace. You got, the yin and yang. you got the yin and yang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so I'm just saying, much like the Chinese, when they, a lot of teachers brought in, you know, they, they merged the Xingyi and the Bagua together to bring in those theories. So I did similar things, but not necessarily in terms of theory, but more so in terms of the many uh, different types of possibilities, technical possibilities. So for instance, one of the um, arts that I studied is Shaolin Jingang Basher. Uh, Shaolin Jingang Basher is, is literally the, uh, the Jingang. Jingang is a type of uh, Buddhist deity, by the way, uh, an aggressive, violent, warlike Buddhist deity. So the Jingang's uh, Basher eight postures of Shaolin. Jingang's eight postures from Shaolin. This is an art that I studied. Maybe I learned about 20% of that style, but also some of the really, I actually learned some of the more most advanced practices because I was not taught the curriculum in an orderly fashion uh, from Shigong Zhou, my, my late Shigong uh, Master Zhou Jingxuan, who's no longer with us, sadly, in Tianjin. So that art has a lot of stepping methods, um, which are very evasive, quite unique, that you see neither, it doesn't, they don't exist in Xingyichuan, in Piguajang, in Southern Mantis, in Bagua. Um, maybe, I think a lot of them do exist in the Li family uh, system of arts that I'm studying now. By the way, my, my teacher in that is uh, Master Brian Hall, uh, who's a wonderful person, wonderful person. And, but, but, you know, it's very unique, the way that this art moves around. If you were to um, go on YouTube and look for Zhou Jingxuan, Z Z H O U Zhou Z H O U Jingxuan is J I N G J I N G X U A N X U A N. Then there are many videos of him demonstrating that art, and you could see it moves in a very unique way. So all of these stepping methods were, which are very combatively viable. Some of them are close to Western boxing, were not present in any of the other arts he studied. And I thought, you know, why can't you take some of the movements and practices in the, from these arts and diversify them with these stepping methods? What mm. they do, by the way, the core curriculum of, of Tongbudao is made of about 25 movements. And the students learn those 25 movements. It's movement combinations. And I teach them how to take these 25 movement combinations and use them with numerous types of stepping methods. So you have 13 core stepping methods and then combinations thereof. And the idea is to make them as maneuverable, agile, pliable, like a Western boxer. And after they could take 25 movement combinations, very simple movement combinations, but very effective, then encapsulate you know, all the most of the basic striking and base grappling that we do. They can take these 25 options times 13 different types of steps and master that, then they have basically nearly, but not nearly, they have all different types of vectors, circles, and spirals that they could potentially use in martial arts. And then what I would teach them, and of course, in between, there are many, many things, like there's a partner form to teach joint locks. There is some ground grappling in the way that they teach that. Um and all in pardon drills and striking drills and all sorts of things. But basically it's the core 25 movements times 13 type ways to step. Once they can do that, 
and they feel that they can move very freely and eloquently with the martial arts in space. So they're not limited by, you know, the framework of this or that form. There are no forms at that stage. Then they can get to what I call Chuan. Honyan Chuan is the name of the long form that I created that basically has <clears throat> nearly all of the curriculum. 95% of everything I know is in it. It's a long form. It takes 20 minutes to complete at a walking pace. So if you were to do like not a jog, but you pace quickly on the street, uh, if you practice the form at that pace, like um, semi-fast walking, it would take you 20 minutes to complete. Wow. And so that that's something that I never had. Because I studied some Chantai Zichuan under several teachers, most of them colleagues of mine. And and I found that the, these long forms they have in Taiji are very useful. So I thought, okay, so we have... They have something like more akin to Western boxing, but way more diversified because it's traditional martial art. I teach them to move freely in space whilst retaining the core essence of the art. By the way, I said there are no forms. That's not exactly true because there's a joint locking form. And there's also a form that's sort of similar in concept to Sunim Tao that I studied from uh, Master Brian Hall that actually teaches all different hand bridges uh, that can be used in, in empty handed fighting. Basically, just every single hand bridge, like this, 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 okay. this, this, any hand bridge. Um, so we use that. And it's also something that I use in more advanced level to teach a very advanced form of Qigong to put inside of that form. So that's like a type of Jibengong. So then they get to the Huyan trend, that's long form, 20-minute form, and they stop doing almost everything, and they focus on that instead. So they transition from the free-flowing to the long-form practice, but they still work on applications, of course, and they start working more on the nagong. So when I started seeing each man, you were doing zhangzhuang, the standing practices from your first class. And I found this is not that helpful with modern Western students. I do work very well with it. Most people are not that patient enough, and it takes them too many years to advance. But by the time they've gotten to it after, say, anywhere between three to six years, of doing the, the core art that I teach, they get to the long form and then they get to the standing much easier for them. Yep. I do, I do let them stand in Mabu a little bit, you know, up to 10 minutes uh, just to get the hang of it during those earlier stages. And then after that stage, when they study the whole long form and they get all the Nagong that's inside of it and everything that, that they put in there, then the next phase is going back to stage one, but you learn a whole lot you learn the, the the Bagua that I know, and you learn the, the Lee family stuff that I know, and there's weaponry. Although sometimes if students ask, I would teach them the weaponry much earlier. Because hmm. as I wrote, I wrote a chapter about this in uh, the martial arts teacher too. I, I The chapter is called Weapons Keep Students. Uh, I find that, you know, students like weapons. So if a student yep. is really keen on studying a weapon, if they're going to, to train hard enough, and not let the weapon take them away from the empty hand, I'll teach them a weapon earlier. Sure, they can choose one of the weapons and we'd work on that. And so the, the, it's like the structure of shohai in Japanese. I, regrettably, I always forget what it's called in Chinese, but they also have a term for shohari is the the beginning, middle, and the end of a Jap, traditional Japanese play. So that's how Tongudao is structured. They go from the... Um, single movements and single movement combinations and taking them and practicing them freely 
also with, with your partner in different different ways. And so there's a, at, at these stages, there's a whole lot of work on partner drills and the row show, which is again different equivalents of the toy show that we have in Shingitren in, in my martial art. Mm-hmm. It's a whole lot of that and a whole lot of applications. Then that's the show and the ha in the middle. They go to the long form and then they go back to the single movement practices because by the end of the day, as most traditional martial arts teachers know, the single movement practices are what builds the bulk of your skill and not the forms when you're advanced enough. So, so then they go back and they have a perspective and they, of course, can still practice the form and their, their weapons forms, they can work on that, but then it goes back to more emphasis on single movement practice and then we completed that cycle. As far as I'm concerned, um, unfortunately, you know, I'm not close to having been able to teach the whole curriculum yet. Uh, I think the average student coming in for like two, two classes a week would not even be able to complete the whole curriculum. But say if they came three or four times a week, it's probably going to be like a 15-year process. If they came every day, though... If they came every day, I do believe that someone who's coming in every day, I could teach them everything I know in seven to eight years. Mm-hmm. But have, alas, have you, not nobody comes every day. Have you right. Right, right? Have you worked on this model yourself? Have you used it in your own training, Jonathan? Yes, of course. This this um, this marks my own progression. Okay. This, this is how I progress through the arts as well. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I like it because I like it because it seems to me like it's globalized. Right. So so these small pieces mimic the long, you know, have DNA, if you will, of the longer system in it. Exactly. Exactly. So the idea is that all of the spirals and circles and movement vectors that they worked on when they had these 25 pieces times 30 ways to move. This is all then reflected in the long form. And then what the long form does it presents them with way more intricate ways to express these movements and movement combinations. Okay. Okay. Rather than what they do in, in Taiji trend, which is especially in Chen Taiji trend, which is the opposite, which I'm, I'm so sorry for saying this. I'm not sure is the best teaching strategy where they teach them the most complex, more, most nuanced things inside the form and then trying to break it down to basics it works for some people. I think it doesn't work for most people. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so with the West, is this kind of an approach? Cause you had said you had been working on a lot of stuff for the Western student and has, has, has this, has this, the Tongbu Dao been the answer in your opinion to synthesizing all of your work for a Western mindset? In the, in the Chinese model? Short answer is, ask me in 20 years. Okay. <laughs> Sounds but, good. But, Sounds but, good. But uh, thus far, I can tell you that, you know, I started with the Tong Budao curriculum. It, it, it was rather new and, and far from being entirely formalized when they started it about four years ago. And then uh, shortly thereafter, maybe eight months later, I, I moved abroad. And then I came back. But I find that nowadays it's much easier for me to teach the traditional martial arts to, to my students. Now, of course, there, there are many styles, I think, um, that have already built the curriculum in a way that is easier to teach to Western audiences, even if they did not intend it as such. For example, I think that Wing Chun 
is very student friendly. Uh, I think the Twinchon, in in terms of how it condenses uh, its core principles and ideas, is quite brilliant. It's one of the most brilliant martial arts curriculums ever conceived of, most probably. And this is part of why Wing Chun is so popular, simply because it has a superior curriculum structure. And people don't pay attention to that. We were, uh, I I started uh, Wing Chun back in 1998 in college. And the class was run by the head of the mathematics department at Mesa in Grand Junction, Colorado. And his Sifu, which is my Sifu now, Sifu Mayor, was working on his PhD in educational psychology and cognitive Mm -hmm. development. And so he would really have a kind of a westernized approach to everything. But you were dealing with college kids from the ages of 17 to 23 and, you know, all full young, mainly male, full of testosterone, very excited. But he got to, we, he got our mindsets focused on these drilling patterns. And it was the learning process that really fascinated us because you had three or four kids in the teaching program. You had a couple English kids. You had four or five math kids. You had kids that were doing, uh, sports psychology and performance. And so you got us at a point that we were doing something physical, but it was the learning process that fascinated us because he would share some of his ideas on learning and the concept of learning. So I kind of have to agree with you. I'm kind of spoiled because I've got a, a teacher that taught how a system was presented to be, be learned as well as taught. And then we got to be, Guinea pigs as well in the process, but we, uh, we were a part of a process of him getting his PhD from Texas A&M on a, uh, it was drill based performance over long term learning and, uh, long periods of training. And so we would do these three drills for half an hour. And by, by the half an hour mark, cause they were interchangeable, you know, it'd be like long lop. And then we have mm-hmm. something called inside poxau. This is the tip poxau with an uppercut. And then we have normal poxau, but they were all interchangeable. Like there was something that I could change to the bong lop, and then I could transition to the uppercut, and then I could transition back to this. And so any partner could transition at any point. And by the end of the drill, a half an hour, all the rookie students – their arms were down here. You couldn't recognize what they were doing. But all the people that have been with the system for like four or five years, there wasn't much energy on the arms, but you could still see it. But yeah, I think I think I agree with you. That's a long way to say I agree with you. Wing Chun is very approachable, very teachable, and very tangible. I think as you were talking, I, I had in my mind, you know, the the manner of execution of Sionim Tao, the first form in Wing Chun. And I think now that that's the first time it came to me that Sionim Tao actually hypnotizes the practitioner. I think that the people, because there are many strange aspects about it that can be explained, for example, by the religious connotations. And, and of course, it's also for those in the know, it's a very advanced type of Qigong. 
which is not taught by 99.9% of Wing Chun teachers. They sure. don't know the, the, the Qigong that's within Siunim Tao. But the, the point is, I think the form was also structured in a way that hypnotizes a person into the, into the expression of the flavor of the style. Mm. And that is something that does not exist, for example, in my curriculum. So the, the first instance where, where and when the, my students experience something which is closer to self-hypnosis is with the Zhangzhuan, but that arrives later. The Wing Chun is designed in a way that right from the get-go, they are programmed to move in a very specific way to the art and not in another way. And this is something that Western boxing also achieves, but I think Western boxing achieves that simply because there's so few movements and possibilities, technically speaking, that because you basically repeat that so much that you become a thing. Boxers are a thing unto itself. And in Wing Chun, there, yeah, in, in there are way, way more possibilities, but somehow people also become a thing unto itself through this process of the Siunim Tao self-hypnosis. I'm not saying maybe that's only the third or fourth most important function of that form, but it is there. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's very fascinating. I, you know, I, I've done that form now for 25 years. That's weird to say out loud. And uh, I still find connections. You know, I, I feel very lucky. Uh, my Sifu, Sifu Mayor, was uh, the sole inheritor uh, in, on the U.S. side uh, from Wong Q. And uh, Sigong Wong Q wasn't very well known. Um, he actually worked for the British government as a uh, – he was a civil engineer. And so he actually had money and he had – some free time. And he was one of the first people to ever learn the Mokjong. But um, Sifu Yip Man didn't have a Mokjong at the time. So when Yip Man taught Wang Q the Mokjong at the beginning, he taught him to him as a partner form. So we have three kind of wooden dummies, the true wooden dummy. And then we have partner form A. And then we have partner form B, right? So the, so it's a long 110 movement two-man set. You've got the 110 on the one side, the attacking side. You've got the 110 on on the the offensive side, so to say. And I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting story, but I've also heard that the partner form uh, for the wooden dummy always existed. You know, other lineages it say... It did. It did. It, all, it did always exist. That's right. It wasn't made up. No, th- this was something that that always existed. It's just the thing is, in the greater Yipman world, it's been forgotten. And the reason that I think that it's so important, it shows a a bridge between the three unarmed forms and the wooden dummy. Mm-hmm. Because people don't realize that the wooden dummy is basically – the other three forms unfolded like origami, right? So the other three forms 
are folded up version a folded up version of everything that's in the mokjong and the partner forms are a living bridge between the unarmed forms and the mokjong it makes it make sense and so when i still do sunam tau i see links to the dummy i see links to our drills i see links to the sticky hands I see links to Chisau. I see links to the weapons. And so that's why I, I find it. I would it- give, if, if it's probably, you, you know, in history, there is, there, there, are, there is a com- competing set of two theories between historians. Some say that mo- the bulk of history is driven by the, the big man theory. That, sure. you know, once in a while comes a, a very important, very charismatic person and, and, Either for good or bad, they change history. And some historians say, no, it's, it, history is something that is driven by cumulative changes that happen through culture and society over time. And sure, sometimes there are charismatic leaders and influencers, but overall, it's more society. And it's very interesting to think, you know, was the Wing Chun curriculum really created by this, just this one amazing person? Or did it right. develop slowly and gradually? Um, over time, yeah. Over time, because in the Chen village, we do know, we do know that the these forms evolved very slowly over time. Every generation made a few changes here, a few changes there. So there is certainly, certainly an organic change within the family that happened over a very long period of time. I would, I would dare say that if the if the entirety of the Wing Chun curriculum was created mostly or all by a single person. I would give that person a Nobel Prize. Yeah, agreed. That, that, agreed. The, for some, any martial arts, this is this is maybe difficult to understand for martial arts students, but if someone is a martial arts teacher and they realize like how difficult it is to just structure a basic form, to just have a form even begin and end in the same spot. It's so difficult that the teachers sometimes just get yeah. up like in China, there, there are many forms where they're like, oh, I start here and I end there because, yeah, who cares? Who cares? Even though it has use, I'll talk about in a second. My 20-minute-long my form that I created, Huniyanjman, it's 20 minutes long and it, it ends in exactly the same spot. And you go around a lot. And it, it goes all over the place in diagonal lines and circle lines. And then you cross yourself and you even jump a few times here and there, all sorts. You still end up in the same place. So I was I was just saying, for someone to have created something like Wing Chun, I'm not saying it's not the there's no best martial art, but it's damn close to being the best curriculum you can find in terms of structure. Whoever created this was an utter genius. Agreed. Absolute genius. Agreed. Agreed. The, the I, Bagua uh, systems, like the, the Bagua, Bagua in its modern iteration, Bagua Zhang, started fairly recently. So we're talking about, you know, late 19th century, right? Yep. And also Xing Yitran. I mean, Xing Yitran is about 150, 160, about 160 years old, give or take, the modern iteration by Li Um The Bagua people are still working through the curriculum structure. Even if you look like perhaps the best structured, um, the two best structured Bagua styles that I've seen. Like the one, one that I've studied is the Qingcheng Mountain Bagua, which is a pre-Dong Haitran style. It's not well known. Qingcheng Mountain is in Sichuan, uh, for those lineage of, 
um, my teacher, Master Stephen Jakovitz. For his, his shifu, um, my shigong, um, Grandmaster Zhang Yunming. That's one system. The other one is the yin style bagua of Siapeiti, which is taught by He Jinbao and his American students in the United States. These systems of bagua have a, a most exceptional curriculum, really well thought out. And even they are still tweaking it. There are about six generations yeah. in, yep. and they're yep. tweaking and tweaking and tweaking to the point that um, CFH released with his, with his top student, who's now CFH is gone now, and, and He Jinbao is the head of the system in that style lineage of Yin style in Salbagua. And they recorded in the early 2000s, they recorded a set of uh, videos with already the DVDs showcasing um, all movements in their system. They don't show all the internal practices, but all movements and, and much of the applications, maybe most of the applications. And by the way, that set of videos, I think, is, is on YouTube now because they have Hajinbao at the request of his teacher, CFH, he continued to tweak the system and they continued and continued. And now he wants to do a new set of videos showcasing the entire system because 20 something years later, it's, I think they did around 2000. So it's already different enough that they want to record a better set of videos. So wow. they tweak and they tweak and they tweak. And the Wing Chun was already at the level of sophistication, if not more, than it is now, a hundred years ago. So that's how advanced it is in terms of curriculum structure. And also, uh, I, I just briefly mentioned something that I got to say, like the, the idea of like, why would you even start and finish a form in the same place? I think it's very important because then you know for sure if you fucked up or you changed something in the middle. Huh. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. I, I use it. It's it's not as evident in the Wing Chun forms because it's, it's all in tight space, relatively tight spaces. But if you go about twenty minutes and you and you know a few feet from where you started, you're like, okay, I fucked up. Where did I fuck up? And why? And why? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you can go on an investigation. Teaches you a lot. Even though, like, I, I with things. I, I don't typically screw up with Hunyan Chuan. I, I almost always finish at the exact same spot. But um, some other forms, like I might not do a weapons form for like a month because I, I'm into other things. I'm also learning. So the newer stuff I, I give precedent to because it's more important for me to assimilate that. And I'll do a weapons form. And just because I'm creative, I might slightly, without even consciously thinking about it, I might change a movement to be applied differently within the form. And then I might end up like a step, a step distance from where I started. And I'm like, huh, what changed from a month ago? What did I do here? And then I, I find the change. I find what, what the hell it was that I did. And I find, oh, maybe I should change it within the form. Maybe it made sense. Or maybe like, oh, I should be careful. I should not make that mistake again. Uh, that taught me quite a bit over the years with different forms that I studied. Quite a bit. Yeah. How long have you been working, uh, not to change too much, because we can even tie in the Lee family into how you're still teaching now, but how long have you been working into the Lee family system? And what do you think it's been brought to the table for you as a, as a learner, as a continuous learner, and as a practitioner, and as a teacher? 
Okay, so after having already met and studied uh, some years with um, Master Stephen Jakovitz, uh, my criteria for whomever could be my teacher was quite high. Because this guy studied martial arts since he was a teenager. He's now mid, mid-50s. And he is a professor of Chinese medicine. He's fluent, conversant, can write, read everything in modern classical Chinese and modern classical Korean. Mm. And, has studied, and has studied and can teach Wing Chun, Aikido, Judo, um, some Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, I think. He even studied some uh, Kogaryu Ninjutsu in a closed-door school, which was very interesting because they had like uh, very thin cloths on their faces. Do not even They don't even know each other's identities except for the guy who brought them into school, just insane. And he said, uh, Stephen says, this is the best school I ever studied at because nobody knew anybody, so there's no ego. It's That's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. And it was very intense. And so, so it's just Wing Chun and Judo and Aikido and probably some classical Jiu-Jitsu a little bit here and there. And this is the Korea, Kogayu Ninjutsu, which I don't think he can teach, but he said that school for a while. And the Aido, which he can teach. And Xingyi and Taiji and Bagua. Yeah. And did all of that while studying these two Asian languages, which like each one of these languages is a full-time job and became a, and he has two PhDs in Chinese medicine. And the dude is something else. He's an amazing person. And his martial arts are so high level. I was like, and the first class I ever had with him, which is funny. I was, I'm mostly a student of his in Chinese medicine, Chinese philosophy. And also in martial arts, but um, I also studied a whole lot of martial arts from him, and in, in, especially in terms of theory and history and philosophy. And first class I ever had with him, he's in New York. I had to travel. Um, he's basically like, we were doing Wing Chun. So he, he wanted me, even though I came for the Bagua, he wanted me to also be in the um, Judo and Shui Jiao and Wing Chun classes. So I get the a broader scope of experience given, you know, I've already studied many arts, so wouldn't hurt me to, you know, for, for a beginner to meddle with many styles, that's a bad idea. But for me, it's just interesting experiences. And we started with the Wing Chun and in the middle of the class, we, we did some, some free form chisau. I was working with a student of his who was very good. I had a hard time with a student of his and they, that student only had like a five-year training. Oh, wow. Student was good. Wow. So he was like, but, but I was, I was playing with that student. I could push him back, you know, but, but he was just aggressive. He was good. Um, and, and so he probably saw me from the side, like sort of quote unquote bullying that other student, even though like I was nice, right? But it got intense, a little bit of ego between the two of us, even though his student was, is a wonderful person. Um, Dave is a lovely guy. Uh, I really love that person. So. Then he says, like, okay, now you do Chisau with me. It wasn't Chisau. He just kicked my butt. <laughs> he just beat me up. Uh, it's funny. You know, um, it's also, I, so, so the guy trains like 25 years of worth of martial arts, probably more than I, and he's uh, six foot four and I'm five foot six. And he probably has like 80 pounds more than I. It was, it was a nice beating. It's funny. Uh, I, but I think he made the point of don't get cocky. Mm. 
you might be a teacher, but you don't get cocky. And the way he introduced me also, we, we had the Bagua class. And he says, oh, this is Jonathan. He comes from, you know, Southern Mantis. Um, so he doesn't know internal arts. We're here to show him internal arts. <laughs> and he knew, he knew that I know. It was just like, you, you little kid, you just, you're going to shut up. And you're gonna play along, and that was the message. So he's he's so good, and he's not that aggressive, by the way. He's uh, aside from these experiences, he's the just the sweetest kind of person, really. He's a good soul. So um, with that, some that's sort of someone as your teacher already. I really wasn't thinking of taking on any other teacher <clears throat> for for many years to come. I also felt that my cup was full, and it is full. It, it's Goddamn overflowing, but you know, I keep pouring I get it. it. I get it, man. Uh, I get it. Uh, and also, like, I got so much shit to practice, you know, and I practice every day, and it's never enough. So, and then, um, so I get this. Uh, I, I called a uh, buddy of mine, Chris Fleming. Uh, where's he at right now? I think he's back in Pennsylvania. Chris Fleming is one of the uh, more serious martial arts dudes uh, that I know in Chinese martial arts. He's not a teacher, but he he has been practicing like twenty something years. He's going around, he's studying with many teachers, studying different many different Chinese styles. And Chris is also a big dude. He's, he's six foot four, six foot five, and he's, he's a bulky dude. He goes trains hard at the gym, and he spars regularly with a lot of different people. So he is always looking for those hidden dragons in the martial arts community. People nobody's heard of, you know, and might be special. And he went and he found this guy, Brian Hall, in Boston. And he went to visit him. He tra- Chris is, is a very devout guy, Chinese martial arts. He, he goes and he, he travels far to study with different teachers. Mm-hmm. So he went to, to check out his iron palm. And, you know, he in the conversation, he was telling me, you know, I went to see this Brian guy. I said, I'm going to tell you something, but you're not going to believe me. I said, I said what? Like, th- this guy is, uh, I think, for Brian is... Uh, Five foot eleven. So he's not a small guy. He's also like a thick guy, but he's, he's also not huge. Um, he said this guy can kill me with one hand behind his back. I was like, what? Because because Chris really is going to Santa classes, you know, and sparring with very serious people. I, he wouldn't say of anybody lightly that they could just take him down with one hand. He's a very wow. powerful guy. So I was like, oh, interesting. But he said, no, you're not going to believe me. You're going to on his Facebook and you're not going to believe me. I was like, all right. So send, send me Facebook. And so we kept talking, we kept talking. So I go on his Facebook. And what I see is this. This chubby looking religious Jewish dude who, is, who dresses funny and goes to comic book conventions <laughs> and to conventions with like B movie stars to get their signatures and geek out with them over like the silliest shit and and writes children's books about owls. And like that, that dude? That dude? <laughs> he says, yeah, that dude, that dude. I'm like, no way, no way. So uh since he's Jewish, it's easier. Um for us Jews to get talking together. So I got talking with him, not at all interested in studying with him, not because he's not good. I, I didn't, I didn't even know what he was doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Just, it's just Chris 
I said so many wonderful things about this man. He looked interesting. He's I'm I'm curious because he's this hidden dragon. He has very little on his Facebook. He has a little bit here and there about martial arts. Same with from years ago and some very old photos. So we get talking and we befriend each other and we talk for about six months. And I tell him that, you know, I started in the Iron Palm practice, which I regret not having started earlier. And he tells me, oh, you know, you know, we have the iron, my, my lineage, we have Iron Palm and, you know, this. And I, and I told this guy and, you know, a lot of people come to me to study Iron Palm and because uh, they hear that they have this, but, you know, I'm not that um, happy to teach it because people are just, you know, some people are clowns and some, some people want to use it for bad purposes. They want to just do this so they can take revenge on someone or they're just going to be overzealous and injure themselves and all sorts of problems. So he's not at all happy. Like he's, he's on one hand, Schiffer Brian, he's still, he's looking for people to be serious disciples and really get in and deep in his martial arts. But on the other hand, he's been disappointed with a lot of people over the years who seem serious at first and then, you know, went their own way eventually and, and wasted their potential. So after about six months for this Iron Palm thing, we decided to be like maybe uh, I can help you write a book because he's just so busy. He can write his own books, um, but he's, he's so busy as for little kids. He's, he's a wonderful uh, family man, a father, and I can help you write that book about Iron Palm. And, and you can teach me the I, I was looking for Qigong to accompany the Iron Palm. because There's special types of Qigong that help you mm-hmm. uh, keep your your your. And palms flexible and healthy and for the palms not to stiffen up and for you to not get arthritis from that type of practice. Yep. And I didn't have anybody to teach me this type of Qigong and he knew a fantastic Qigong for that. It's called the Jade Turtle Qigong. Mm. Jade Turtle Qigong. Um, very interesting type of Qigong from Shaolin. Um, very simple to learn, by the way. And so he started teaching me that and that's how we got rolling. And eventually from that, into his uh, Lee family martial arts, not just that Qigong, because he's very eager to teach. He's a teacher who's very happy, like to share. He just wants to share. He's, he's very generous. So, yeah, we've been rolling things. Uh, like we sort of, like the, the book is slightly on pause, but once in a while, like I, as I progress through the Iron Palm, I, I add a little bit more and more into it. The Iron Palm book, that's like a project for like five years from now, maybe. Um, in the process, it also helped, like we... We, we talk a lot. Sometimes we have like three hour conversations on uh, crazy shit like um, mythology and demons and, and whatnot. He's, he's an expert on, on world religions and languages. And he's very interested in, in Hebrew. And he has studied very well um, biblical Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So he could, as a religious Jew, he wanted to understand uh, the, the Hebrew Bible and its language of origin. That is why, but he can't speak much Hebrew and especially not modern Hebrew. So I'm helping him with the Hebrew. He's helping me with my martial arts. And most of our conversations, he's just telling me like tons of martial arts lore and teaching me about life. And, you know, even though we, we sort of teach one another, uh, he's my shifu. It's, it's quite obvious. He's in his um, early 50s. I'm in my mid 30s. And still like he is a shifu to me. You know, I call him Shifu. I consider him my teacher. He's a very wise man, self-taught. He has some uh, academic degrees, but he's self-taught on a whole lot of things. There's thousands of books in his house. 
whenever somebody has thousands of books in his house and he's read them all, you know, yep. that's the person you're worth talking to. I Absolutely. know only two people like that. I, I, well, I know sort of three people. So I know Keith, Grandmaster Keith Kenspert, he has 4,000 books in his house. I've seen them. And I randomly opened books and I saw his notes. I know he's read them all. He really did. So that's one person. I know Schiffer Brian has that many books in his house that he's read. Schiffer Steven, I'm sure has read as as many books. I just don't, I don't think he kept most of them, but he's probably read as many books by the Mm -hmm. amount of knowledge the guy has. So, um, yeah. So the Lee family system, he was just lucky. He was taught since age four by his father. He was taught uh, Goju Yukate from a rare lineage from Okinawa that it's quite, on one hand, the kata are sort of the same, not exactly, exactly, but sort of the same as the mainstream Goju kata. But he has many things that most of Goju Karateka don't have. For example, he has, you know, we're talking about the partner form Wing Chun. He has um, many, many partner drills that teach you how to transition the kata into uh, free flow combat, into sparring. That's awesome. And that is quite unique. And also, he, he has been telling me that the original way to train kata and Goju Ryu is that the kata are only a template. The, the sensei is supposed to teach you how to take the different combinations from the kata and recombine them in any way you see fit for every single kata. And people have just forgotten about this. This wasn't taught. And he has that. And he has a few other things that are somewhat in, more internal in Goju that other people don't have. And then, so he was very good in martial arts already when he was in his teens. And somehow through connections, I think he was in college and then... He was, he was living with Chinese Americans who spoke Chinese. He learned Chinese from them. He has a gift for languages. He's also, Shiver Brian, he was, con- I don't know if he's still, I think he was conversational in Cantonese. And he certainly knows he's Japanese. He can speak Japanese. <laughs> and so other than English, it's also impressive. He knows um, English well, of course, American, um, can read and write well in biblical Hebrew. Now he knows a little bit of modern Hebrew as well and can converse and read in Japanese and probably can speak a little bit uh, in in Chinese. So he's not practiced in years, but used to speak fluently with his uh, roommates in college. So I think it was through these Chinese connections because he used to spend a lot of time in Chinatown. So he got into his uh, shifu under the, the Lee system it's a family that sort of keeps its secrecy because they're involved with, let's just say, shady business in China. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm not mistaken, there weren't even a Lee family back in the day in China. They changed their family name. Mm-hmm. They're another common family name. The thing is, some people don't know in China, they only have a uh, hundred or so common surnames that everybody uses. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I recently find out, for example, there's a, uh, Famous scholar and and general from the Romans of the Three Kingdoms, both historical and the, and the book Romans of the Three Kingdoms that yeah, a lot of people would know called Juge Liang. And I thought that as so I was asking my Shifu, Shifu Nitan, who also can read and write and in, 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 in speaking classical Chinese, I was asking him, so why is, is it a mistake that in English language books they call him Juge Liang? Because Juga is two characters and Liang is one. So I asked him, isn't this supposed to be the Liang Juga? Because usually that's how it is in Chinese. The, 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 the family name is 
one character and the first name is two characters. He said, no, actually, it seldom happens, but there are very few examples of this. But Juga is a, is a family name made hmm. of two characters. Huh. And it used to be it used to be more common in in Japan. We see this in Japan. Most surnames, I think, and um, yeah, most family names are have two characters, not just the first names. So anyway, going back, um, so he got to study under that family, and that family has a system that goes right about like this. Um, they have their Jiben Gong, and uh, that Jiben Gong includes the uh, Jade Turtle Qigong that uh, essentially builds the basics for all the Neigong in their system. It's the Jade Turtle, and it, this form called Iron Arms Silk Bridges. Iron Arms Silk Bridges, or um, in Chinese, that's Tie Shou Si Tiao. Iron Arms Silk Bridges. And that is the form I was talking about that I actually put in Tongudao. It's a new edition. I put it in uh, about probably like, what, eight months ago? And I told my students, well, this short form is kind of similar in some ways to Sionim Tao. That teaches you all the different bridges that you could use, nearly all possibilities in stand-up, empty-handed, fighting, probably also in ground grappling. Like, mm. all, every... Every single way, basically every single useful way you can twist your arm in palm. All of these different ways and just transitions between them, like one twist to another twist. So, and it's such a brilliant concept. So this was this is part of the Jibin Gong for the Li family system. So for Brian's permission, I just took this, put it in the beginning of Tongula, and I took my students on a, like a weekend-long seminar. Friday, for, our weekends in Israel are Friday or Saturday. Um, so Friday, four hours, Saturday, four hours, uh, it's two hour classes with a break between them. So eight hours total. I told them the whole thing in eight hours. I said, now that's like the basics before our basics. That's like, that's what we do. Is this so useful? I, imme- I immediately saw the use for it, but I waited six months of me working on that form. So it'd be good enough to right. be confident to teach it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, but, but it's cl- It's only six months. Like I would have waited years, maybe, but it's very close to a lot of things I studied in Sovereign Mantis. So it's because it's so close. It was almost like an extension. This form is an extension of Sovereign Mantis for me. Uh, I, it's so work, would work so well with Sovereign Mantis and Wing Chun and such and Pak Mei. I, I offered my Sifu. I told him I would teach you that form so you can have it as Jibin Gong because they don't have. Real, real Jibin Gong, in my opinion, in Jukum Sufferment, they jump into more advanced stuff right away, which is very confusing for people. Right. I told myself, take it. Take it. I, I've never been able to give you anything in the martial arts. Take this. Please, let me give it to you. So put it put in the curriculum, and you have this thing. You've been searching for something like this to put as a like basics for students for years. Unfortunately, as of now, he hasn't taken it. Maybe in the future, I'll convince him. But it would be extremely useful for Sufferment students. Anyway... So the J turtle and then Yugui, Yugui Qigong is the, the name in Chinese. And then Tia Shou Sichiao, Iron Arms of Bridges. That's the Taolu, the form for the basic bridges. After that, they have a Wuxing Tren, or a five-faced fist. In this context, Wuxing Tren is five animals. So they have their own take on uh, five animals, which is a mix of several 
different five animals, both south and northern. That they collected se- several types and they mixed them together. So the tiger is several tigers they put together. The crane is several cranes. Hmm. Then, after that, they, of course, they, in the end, they have several weapons. The all these systems have weapons, like the typical weapons, like the, the street sword, the, the broadsword, the daojian, the, the tiang, the, the spear, the staff, all these stuff that they, they come eventually, like later. But after the wishing train, after the five animals, which is like builds the core basics, they have a lot of stuff going on. They have like a long phoenix form. They have like, like a water form. It's like a proto taiji. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of taiji got inspiration from that. But hmm. the most interesting stuff that they have is the F5 birds, five bird styles. So every one of these is like as long as the typical, say, softened white crane, which is not, it's not a big system. These softened crane systems relative to other systems. Um, some like there would be, some of them are shorter than Wing Chun, let's say, in the span of the curriculum. But they have the five birds. I, 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 you would smack me probably. Like you, you would not because he's just sweetheart for Brian. But I don't remember all the bird names now because I haven't gotten to, to work on that yet. But there is like, um, there's a blackbird, there's an owl, there's a hawk, blackbird, owl, hawk, golden pheasant. Oh, and the black crane. Yeah. So blackbird. Owl, hog, golden pheasant, and black crane. These are the five. And the, the golden pheasant is considered the most advanced. Chief O'Brien says that this is the most advanced internal system that he had ever seen. Uh, and given that I have never, I've not seen it yet, I'm, I'm quite curious. And he's shown mm-hmm. me a lot. It's not just, we have so much to cover. You know, I have just haven't got, gotten to it. It'll take a while. So after the, I, I skipped something, after the Yogwei Qigong, the uh, Jade Turtle Qigong, the Tiesho Sitiao, the Iron Arm Silk Bridges, there are also trans- transitory stages where they take the basics and they show you, of course, how to apply them with, with a partner and this and that. There are a lot of parts that I'm not studying because for me, that's redundant. That it's a level and it covers all the things that I know from many different other styles. You know, I'm, I'm studying the, the stuff that is, key to to my development which is might end up being most of that system i don't know mm-hmm. but for example i'm not studying the and if if i had time maybe and it, or if uh, it was 10 years ago i would have studied the whooshing trend the five the five animal fist but currently i'm not studying that so i am studying what is leading to the five birds which is what Schiffer brian really wants to teach he sees it's like the highest thing that he knows that he really wants to to, to teach on forward, even though he also highly considered his, considers his Gojo review. He really, and he has uh, some students who study that Gojo review now. So, uh, to get to the five birds, I'm studying something called the wheeling hands. So, wheeling hands are 28 combinations that you do uh, standing, but you can also transition them between steps uh, freeform. And these 28 movement combinations. Um, are some of the most internally complex stuff that I've ever studied. That's actually, like, that's almost just slightly over Jibben Gong in his Lee family system. I would say all of these combinations are as advanced as any of the most complex movement combinations in a Chen long form, Chen, Chen style Taiji long form. This is wow. very complex. Very complex. And, of course, there's a lot of transitory stages that I skipped to get to that. 
that, you know, I'm, I'm working at the level that I need to work right now. But for me, that was complex. I'm, I'm at, um, of the loon show, loon show is willing hands that I'm studying. I'm at number 11 out of 28 and my hands are full with these 11. They mm-hmm. are complicated and confusing. And, and like when my students asked me like, why is it so complicated and confusing? And I said, because it would be complicated and confusing for the opponent. That is why. <laughs> that is the point. To, yeah. Master something that's super complicated and confusing and have it very easy for you and you can make it work, then that's very com- extremely complicated and confusing for someone who's never felt or seen it, right? So then I'm, I'm, I'm at uh, 11 and I have to be good enough at these. I'm working on becoming good enough at these 11. So Shifu Brian would teach me the next ones. And to us, it's, it's, it's a complicated practice. Like I'm, I wouldn't have. I taught my students the Tiesho Sechao, and yeah, they sort of studied the motions in eight hours, but they are far, far, far cry from understanding that form. It's going to take them another two to three years each of them. But the wheeling hands that I'm studying now, nah, I can't teach that to my students. That's mm. that's complicated for me. So, so that would take a while. Uh, and there's no way to simplify it. And what I really love about the Lee family system, by the way, it works so well. These combinations, like the, one of the first things I did, I immediately started applying them in freeform practice, like semi-sparring with my students. And everything worked immediately. And I'm like, wow, that's that's amazing. <laughs> that's I, a rare I, thing, too. That's rare. Usually it takes a little, there's a little bit of a learning curve. To reach it out there, but that's yeah, great. but it's it's very close. It's very close to the South Mantis that I did okay. before in terms of overall movement. So I'm used to that movement concept, the way the, the close range. It's it's almost like the, the whole system is something between Pak Mei and South Mantis and Wing Chun. It's like in the middle between all of these. Hmm. I'll, I'll explain it in a moment. Actually, it makes sense. So in terms of the history, so it's so very practical. That I've changed none of it. And that's rare. Like the, the Tiesho Sechiao, the, the, that movement form that I put in the beginning, I changed nothing, but then I added like a, another third to the, to the form just to add many different types of bridges that I know that are very useful that weren't there. But they didn't change any. I just added to the end of it, I added more. Um, and that, that, that I use, that my students would be taught or have already been taught, that I wanted those bridges there that add to the total potentiality of all the bridges that you could use. But I didn't change anything before that. And in the willing hands, I absolutely changed nothing. And I, I see nothing that needs to be changed. It's so well-structured. It is as well-structured. The whole system is as well-structured as Wing Chun. It's very, quite brilliant. And... The, here's the history. According to Schiff O'Brien, I can't, he's my source on this. I can't verify this. But what he says is way back when, we're talking century, centuries ago, there used to be a core founding system called the butterfly hands. Butterfly hands nowadays in the Lee family system is a concept. Now, why do I believe this and why do I think find it fascinating is this is butterfly hands. What some people call yin-yang hands, this thing, this pattern. Okay. 
this, I, sorry, um, the listeners wouldn't be able to see it on video, and it's a very, com- I, I'm not sure you could verbally explain this pattern, but it's a pattern where both the palms twist. It looks like it looks like yeah, it's, But it's, it's not, not, it's not this, it, look, it's this, it's this, look, look, it's this, this, and this. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's, it's, um, bonsao, what is this? Uh, not jumpsao, what is here, fuxal, not a fuxal, but um, when you just put your hand here, like uh, uh, I don't know, I, I don't have a name for that one. I've got okay, long okay. sao, I've got long so it's, sao. It's kind of like okay, so it's so think like bong sao, fuxal, tan sao, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So if you look at it, it's, it's slow motion, and sorry for listening, listeners not being able to see this, but it goes like this so it's a one and a two and a three. So one, two, and three. It always changes direction. So one direction, second direction. So it's essentially one, yeah, one, and a two, and a three. So you, you see you see how it's very Wing Chun-y, actually, mm-hmm. but but circular, done in a, more circular. Okay, so this, so essentially what I'm talking about here, butterfly hands, also called yin-yang hands, is a pattern where you swirl the palms in uh, in a pattern of infinity. Essentially, that's what it is. So infinity it always keeps swirling. It doesn't have a beginning or an end. And this way of swirling the palms in a pattern of infinity is actually correlated with moving your middle dantian and your mm. lower dantian. In certain ways, so it's a it's a waving motion of the spine as well as the middle dantian and the lower dantian. Uh, sweetie, you need something? The dates here have dates. Here you go. <laughs> Wife is hungry. <laughs> so uh, I I stole the dates before. What can I say? They're next to the. To the that's internal practice, my friend. Internal, it's practice. internal practice. So, going back on the butterfly palms, um, yin yang palms. The amazing thing is, I studied that skill as the main engine of the Qingchen Mountain Bagua that I studied under Shifu Stephen. Hmm. And then, a long time later, I find myself studying under Shifu Brian, and that is the main engine of his martial arts. I see what you're saying. The system and our Shaolin and have no relationship with that Bagua whatsoever. But here's the kicker. And I forgot the Lee family system have a linear Bagua and not a linear Bagua that they created like Dong Haichuan Bagua's lineages that then created like a linear practice of Bagua later. I'm talking, he has a pre Dong Haichuan Bagua in the Lee family system. They have a Bagua, I forgot, that doesn't have circle walking. It has a lot of circle stepping, but no circle walking. Entire forms, no circle walking. And that, which uses a lot of the stuff that you see in the five birds and all the stuff, other stuff that I was talking about. And I showed Shifu Brian's Bagua to Shifu Steven. Shifu Steven's like, wow, that's very similar to our Bagua. I'm like, huh, they must be distance 10 generations, 15 generations back. And they have the same engine. That mm-hmm. is something. So that put things in perspective. And that 
that made me believe more so for Brian, even though I, I believe him because he's a trustworthy, extremely scholarly person who's deeply researched the history of his arts. And his contention is this. It used to be this style called butterfly hand or butterfly palms. He has okay. a book about that, doesn't he? Sifu Jonathan? I think he has a book out Shifu, about it, doesn't he? Brian? I know no, he, have, he has a book about the nine, I think the nine gates, which is a, a book, about, it's a theory of nine gates in combat, but it's not about the butterfly palms. No, there, I should note, there are many styles in China today that are called butterfly palms, but none of them are this particular system. It's just a common name. And he says that system was brought into Shaolin to one of the older Shaolins, because the Shaolin temple had several iterations. It mm-hmm. was burned down or destroyed or abandoned several times because the monks there were heavily politically affiliated. So they would take in uh, refugees from different militaries who lost generals or some soldiers, or they would actually raise an army and, and participate in different rebellions and such. Mm-hmm. So Shaolin, uh, there's a reason the Chinese Communist Party took over Shaolin, made it into a martial arts Disneyland because they wanted control of position in, in our generation. They didn't want the Shaolin going back to its military roots because it was very politically inclined and typically against the ruling authorities. Yep. So when the butterfly palm system came into Shaolin, it was modified, of course, to suit the temple needs and then changed and then broken down into several styles that themselves developed over the years. And then Shaolin spread out as a chain of Taoist, of Taoist, of Buddhist monastery, monasteries, much like the Juklum temples, the Juklum South Mantis is, Juklum is Julin in Mandarin, is Julin or Juklum is Bamboo Forest. Bamboo Forest is the name of a chain of Buddhist temples, a franchise of Buddhist temples that the, this origi- the originators of that system just several generations ago, they would go around and build those temples and preach their lineage of Buddhism. That was mm. the thing. The martial art was attached to that. Martial art was, there are bandits and robbers on the road that we need to deal with while we spread that chain of Buddhism called Bamboo Forest. This is why it was called Juklum, Bamboo <laughs> Forest, South Amantis. And it's often, for those not in the know, it's South Amantis because there's also, there are also lineages of and mantis system in northern China, which is a very different martial art, just not related. So that's why the Chinese call it northern mantis and southern mantis. Anyway, um, so there was, I used to think, I used to believe, also after reading the book, The Shaolin Monastery by Professor Meir Shachal. Professor Meir Shachal, I actually met him. Uh, we sat together for a few hours in Israel. He's a prof- he used to be, I'm not sure if he's still a professor at uh, East Asian Studies in, at Tel Aviv University. And he wrote the Shaolin Monastery that's available on Amazon. It's the most comprehensive book ever written mm-hmm. on the history of the Shaolin Temple. Mm-hmm. And his contention was that there was no Shaolin, Southern Shaolin Temple uh, because these temples essentially were so utterly destroyed that no re- historical remnants survived, at least not recorded in the academia that he could find. And he did a pretty decent damn job, Professor Meir Shachar, at tracking the history of Shaolin. Apparently there were though. And and so the oral traditions of the Southern Chinese martial arts are true. There were Southern Shaolin temples, not just one, but more than one. Perhaps, you know, some of them were 
potentially tiny. You know, maybe they only had you know, 20 monks. I don't know. Right. They weren't all, they weren't all as central as the, the big one we know today in northern China. But they, they were nonetheless. And then the Li family was a family that inherited from those southern, one of those southern temples the whole system of arts that they had at the temple at one given time. Huh. I'm not sure exactly when. If Chief O'Brien could give better answers, I'm not sure it's difficult to convince him to talk about this in podcast. He doesn't want to get into martial arts politics. So they represent something that in his view was the older version of the South and Shaolin, which is in my belief, and I'm going to say something extremely politically charged here, the mother system of what later became Wing Chun, Southern White Crane, Pak Mei, Longing, which is the Southern Dragon, dragon, dragon sign, yeah. And, and Southern Mantis, all of them. So we, oh, wow. the, the Southern White Crane, the Southern Dragon, the Wing Chun, Southern Crane, Southern Dragon, Wing Chun, Pak Mei, and, and Southern Mantis. All these five systems, and of course, also heavily influenced Honga. Mm. which is a mix of northern and southern, if you ask me. Um, it's like a southern on a northern frame often. I think that's how, how Hongao looks like. And many other systems, by the way. So I think Schiffer Brian, he's not the only one, because the Lee family are still out there teaching. It's just closed door somewhere. Um, his Schiffer is still alive. Some people are teaching. He's teaching that. There are probably some others in China or somewhere very few people some people out there have the mother system now it's not better or worse it's just that's the origin that everybody been looking for like basically all of the karate people in okinawa who've written history books trying to track you know where these like we came from this southern arts but where did they come from this is southern Shaolin, but how did it southern Shaolin look like i'm studying this i think i know what it looks like really but, you know, who's going to believe it? Who's going to? Well, we, we've got it out there now, my friend. We've got it out there now. Well, my friend, I'm going to have to say this is going to have to be a stopping point for me because my phone, I, I use my phone as my medium, is about mm-hmm. to go out. But, Jonathan, this has been yeah. so fascinating. Um, I don't want to talk for my co-host, but I'd like to say that we'd love to have you back on the show another time. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to be back. Yeah, it would be wonderful. This has been par- super fun. Go ahead, Owen. No, no, no. I was just going to say in parting, do you know, do you have anything? Is there, how can people reach you to start with? And then secondarily, do you have anything that you want to promote or you want to work or you're working on or classes or anything like that? Um, well, okay. So, uh, if you're keen on Zuckerberg's evil platform, aka Facebook, then I'm on <laughs> facebook.com. Mm-hmm. slash bluestein that's b-l-u b-l-u-e-s-t-i-n b-l-u-e-s-t-i-n facebook.com slash bluestein you can also write jonathan bluestein on there you'll find me or jonathan bluestein sorry jonathan dot bluestein is jonathan as j-o-n-a-t-h-a-n j-o-n-a-t-h-a-n dot bluestein at gmail.com that's my email mm-hmm. our official website um is on bluejadesociety.com. It would change in the future to something else because I'm gonna have a 
more Hebrew-focused website with an English version. But right now, it's bluejadesociety.com, blue like the color blue, jade like the stone jade, society like a society.com. My books, uh, I have eight of them that I've written and published, and ninth one coming. I'm going to be publishing a thousand a thousand page long book in Hebrew about martial arts. Wow. Uh, it's going to cool. be the most comprehensive book ever written in the Hebrew language about martial arts. Um, unfortunately, it's only going to be in Hebrew up until now. Nearly all of my books were in English. Uh, a lot of what, what's in that book is available as free articles on my, in English on my official website or available in my books. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, my books, which have been sold on Amazon for years, and uh, some of them are bestsellers. Amazon has deleted my a user account, which is also my author account. Some time ago, it was probably an accident. I don't know if, if they shadow banned me, but it's probably an accident on their part. They doubled down on their claim that I asked for it. Like literally, that's their legal department. After I had to friend them with my lawyer, which happens to be my father, unfortunately, they were counting on me drowning in legal fees. But when your father is a good lawyer, then no, I'm not. You're going to be drowning in legal fees, and and so they are claiming that I asked to delete my own account, which is utterly ridiculous. You know, I've had a a, a customer user on Amazon since two thousand and nine, <laughs> and bought a lot of stuff and you know i've been publishing books on amazon since 2014 so for me to basically shoot myself in the foot is not a reasonable option (laughs) so doesn't make any sense since they doubled down on it they just got a lawsuit so uh hopefully bezos wouldn't mind chiming in a few dimes in my direction (laughs) probably the if he does mind the court will tell him to Suck it up, Bezos. Um, mm-hmm. We're after you. And they, they, they have a bad, they're going to have a bad day in court. Let me tell you that. Unfortunately for them, um, they'll probably still outside of court, though, for various reasons. Not getting into it. It's a long legal discussion. Anyway, unfortunately, I think most of my books are currently not available on Amazon. You, you, could, you could potentially get uh, used copies on Amazon or elsewhere. So you go on Amazon and you look. Some of them are written, you know, good as new. So I guess you, you could get them. I don't get money out of that, but that's between me and Amazon later in court. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they keep selling my used books and they don't give me money for that. Mm. Right. Mm. Well, anyway, that's that's how you can you can get to me. Um, I am going to keep publishing book. There's a huge biography coming of a very famous martial arts master. That is coming hopefully within less than a year. Mm. We resolve everything with Amazon by then. It's going to be like 800 pages long. It's going to be amazing. And there are many, many more books coming down the road yeah, as quickly as I can write them, which is too slowly recently. <laughs> I've been busy with Chinese medicine patients, but I'm trying. I'm trying. You awesome. have a good YouTube well, page too, Jonathan. What, what is that? Oh, yeah, your- yeah, yeah. So you just go on YouTube and write my name, Jonathan Bluestein, and I have a YouTube channel. Thank you for uh, reminding listeners of that. Uh, I have hundreds of videos on there. I have my own podcast with martial arts interviews. I have uh, my own lectures that I record on martial arts and Chinese culture. I have um, videos of uh, my own teachers and myself demonstrating various things mm-hmm. having to do with 
martial arts. Some of my colleagues, they donate videos and I put them on my channel. Lots of goodies on there. Uh, Jonathan Blustein on YouTube, you'd find my channel. Awesome. Well, thanks you so much, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure and uh, we hope to have you on again. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, yeah you have a good one. Have a blessed day, my friend. I see you.